0: And um, if you have your Bibles, you, you can open to the book of Isaiah. Uh, we're going to be in and out of different books, but we're we going to be, our main scripture is Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 6 this evening. Uh, we've been doing a series called Promises, and uh, it's been a really exciting journey, unpacking some of the promises we see in the book of Isaiah that speak about the coming Messiah. And so this evening, we're still in that journey, um, and I wanted to start off by, by just, just a show of hands. Anybody who's Who's waited for something significant in their life, and it's taken forever for that thing to come? Anybody waited for something? Right? Great. I think most of us can relate to having waited for something that is extremely exciting uh, to be waiting for, but also incredibly frustrating to be waiting for, because it's taking for such, such a long time to come. Um, some of my intern friends are waiting for their wives, right? And that's just taking super long to come. But don't worry, okay? It's going to happen. Um, one of my things, I, I, I really hate waiting, right, I'm, I'm incredibly impatient, waiting is painful for me, um, and one of the things I realized was, was when I, God had, like, released my wife and I to, to, to have children, we just felt like this was a, this was a season we we're going to be going into, uh, when we did fall pregnant, it was like, yes, great, now nine months, all right, right, and nobody tells you that. I mean, you should think that, but nobody tells you that once there's a baby, you've got to wait nine months before he or she arrives. And we had a little boy, our first boy up, and it didn't get any easier uh, when, when, when we had a little girl. And that was some of the most intense waiting times of my life, because I wanted it to go faster, but it just couldn't, and it just didn't. But when eventually they did come, it was amazing and totally worth it, right? Um, for some of us, this, this is a season of, of great waiting. and well, The waiting has been the whole year, and, and expectations are about to be met. We get together with family, we have school holidays. Some of us have finished school, some of us have finished varsity, um, some of us turn 18 this year, right? Some of us turn 18 in December. Now, you're able to drive and all of that sort of stuff, or properly at least. Um, but uh, regardless of what you've been waiting for, but like I said, I think some of us really dislike waiting. And, I think a couple of things that I've learned over my 36 years of life, some will call that old, some will call that young, is this, that, that often anticipation and expectation is driven by our desires. So, so we are expecting for and we anticipate things that we desire and that we long for and that we prioritize. Right? We don't really desire things that aren't a priority for us necessarily. In other words, Often, what we value dictates what we long for. Often. And Christmas time is one of those times of great anticipation. Like I said, holidays, meals, family time, presents, especially presents, especially for my children. Right? However, and I think this often goes unnoticed doesn't matter how much you desire presence. doesn't matter how much you desire family time and those smoked gamins and those roasted porks and chicken and all this. It doesn't matter, hallelujah. It doesn't matter how much you desire that stuff. There's always an underlying desire in the heart of every single human being, whether that's conscious or subconscious, or subconscious and that's this. We have a deep longing and desire for peace, for hope, for joy and contentment of the soul all of us at some point long for that because all of us have and still do battle with our flesh and the sinful nature. And you'll know what I'm talking about when I say we battle with guilt over things that we've done. We battle with choices that we've made that we know we shouldn't have made or should have made. We battle with secrets that we've kept that we shouldn't keep or shouldn't be keeping or shouldn't have kept. We battle with the things we've done to people that have harmed people and relationships haven't been made right yet. And there's this deep unease and we try and sweep it under the carpet. We try and push it down and press it and suppress it. But my friends, I want to say this, no Christmas present, no family time and no specific season of the year is ever going to fix that. When it comes to Christmas presents, every single Christmas present falls short. No Christmas present is perfect in that regard except for one. And his name is Jesus Christ. Right? For thousands and thousands of years, people longed and waited for the Messiah to come. For someone who would come, who would free his people from sin, free his people from guilt, free his people from judgment, and enable them to find satisfaction and rest for their souls. Thousands of years, people waited for someone to come and pay the debt to change our hearts and to fulfill the promise of Messiah that God made so many thousands of years before he came. In a sense, tomorrow what we celebrate is this, that Jesus is the ultimate gift, that he is the ultimate promise fulfilled by God. And because of that, so much is available to us, not just here now, but in eternity one day. So much because of Jesus. But before Jesus came, it was a long time coming. Before Mary and Joseph, before Bethlehem, before the wise men, before the Nativity scene we loved so much, there were men and women just like you and I who had studied God's Word and who knew the promises of God and were waiting. and we're waiting and we're waiting, not for a month, not for a two or three years, not for two or three days, but for thousands of years for this thing. To be fulfilled. One of the promises they would hold to you is found in Isaiah chapter 9, written 700 years before its fulfillment. And here's what it says For us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those are descriptions of Jesus, and in its specific context, it meant something, but it's also a prophetic utterance about the coming of. Of Messiah. The Old Testament is filled with hundreds, at least 300 similar promises about the coming of Messiah. And they speak specifically about his first coming, his birth in Bethlehem. Many of them, many of them we know and many of them we don't, but there are hundreds. So this evening, I want to do this quickly. We're not going to be long this evening. I just want to look at three biblical truths that will put this promise of Messiah and its fulfillment into perspective for us. And hopefully we walk away with a greater awe and a greater wonder and a greater desire and reverence for Jesus and an appreciation for what it means to actually celebrate Christmas for what it is. I said this last week, and a spoiler alert for some people as well, but Jesus wasn't actually born on the 25th of December. Right, in case you didn't know that. we Somewhere around the middle of the year, People, have, scholars have worked it out. But we have set aside the 25th of December to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And tomorrow is so much more significant than presence. And I hope this evening we walk away with that understanding. But the first point, the first truth that I want to speak about when it comes to this promise, and this fulfilled promise, is this. That it was a promise given way, way back in the beginning. In other words, this isn't something that God just concocted because he ran into a problem. This was something God had ordained and foreseen before he created and laid the foundations of the earth. We know the Bible begins with, in the beginning, God created. And it says, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. And we know the story of Adam and Eve and how that all got messed up. How Satan interfered with God's plan. How relationship, as it was, was severed from God for Adam and Eve. And things have never been the same since, yet In that very moment, right in the beginning of the account of the creation of all things and the fall of man, we see this promise given. In Genesis 3.15, here's what God says to the enemy. He says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel." Right in the beginning, this is a a prophetic utterance about what the Messiah is going to come and do, what is going to happen to Satan, and what's going to happen to the Messiah. Ultimately, victory is going to be his. And so right from the beginning, millennia before it happened, there's this promise given of Messiah, and he's going to come and he's going to restore. And so the wait begins for people. It begins for Adam and Eve. And while they're waiting, sin runs rampant. Like a fugitive on the loose, leaving a path of destruction. We know what happens. Generations come and generations go. God destroys the earth. There's Noah and his family. And in that, the promise is upheld of how God's going to save his people. The ark and Noah and his family are a type, a, a, a revelation to us of how God is going to do stuff and save people. And there's supposed to be a rebirth through them. But as soon as they hit dry land, Noah plants a vineyard, grows some grapes, gets drunk. Sin happens there again. And so this issue that, has, that started in the garden is perpetuated. From there we get to, to Abraham. Eventually there's this promise given to Abraham where, where God says to him in Genesis 12, all people on the earth will be blessed through you. And then Abraham has Isaac. You know the story of Abraham and how long they waited for a son. The son was promised it took a long, they were 90 years old, right, when they eventually had all the promise was given and they had Isaac. But then God asks him to sacrifice Isaac. There's another example of what God was going to do with the Savior. More promise, more promise, more alluding to what was going to happen. Yet still he doesn't come. Eventually Abraham's grandson has 12 sons and they become tribes of Israel. And I can imagine them at night huddling together around the campfire and the story of Genesis is being told. It's being told about how sin happened, how God promised, and how Messiah is coming and how the children would lie at at night eagerly expecting and awaiting this Messiah. And yet still it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Times got hard. Unexpected circumstances happened. God's people found themselves enslaved in Egypt. Then there's another promise, another type. We call them types of Christ, people who who represent Christ and what he was going to do and what the Messiah would do. And Moses is one of those. And he becomes a great leader for God's people. And he leads them out of Egypt. But then they sin and they hack it in the desert. And they spend 40 years, a generation, dying out in the desert before they go into a promised land. Then there's Joshua. And it goes on and on and on. Then there's this golden age for God's people where they have three kings. And they reach the heart of their empire. They're having victories in the battlefield. Right? They have power. They have prosperity. And at this time, you think, now's the time that God's going to send the Messiah. Surely this is it. And then Solomon dies, and things deteriorate back and drift into chaos and corruption and idolatry. Soon Israel loses their credibility again. They drift far from the Lord. Their kings and and people in high places are promoting spiritual divination And they sink further and further down until they hit rock bottom. They invaded and they're taken into captivity again and again. And yet still in this time and in these times, God's promise of Messiah is given in different ways. When people had lost all hope, eventually, every now and then, there would be this prophet who would come. We went to the season of the prophets and God's people were being prophesied to and spoken to by God through a prophet. And these prophets would prophesy, like Isaiah did, about the coming of Messiah. And the very last prophet we have is Malachi. The very last prophet we have. In, and he says this in chapter 1, verse 11, about God. God says through him, My name will be made great among the nations. This promise just keeps coming, despite what's happened. This promise keeps coming. So this was this long-anticipated promise of Messiah. And then absolutely nothing. We turn from Malachi to the book of Matthew in a second. It took 400 years after Malachi had spoken his last words before Messiah eventually came. No fulfillment, no promises, as if God had shut up shop and forgotten about his people. But then in Galatians 4, it says this, when the fullness of time had come. In other words, at the exact right time, when God had predestined it to happen and purposed it to happen in a way no one could have imagined without word of warning and in the weirdest possible way, God breaks his silence and he sends a messenger, the archangel Gabriel, to give a message to a woman called Elizabeth to say, you will give birth to a son. You're going to name him John. and He's going to prepare a way for the Messiah. And then he sends Gabriel to a virgin Mary and says, you're going to be with child." and he's going to be the Messiah. You are to call him Jesus, because he's going to save his people. And after 400 years from Malachi, all of a sudden, God breaks in. And this is the message that comes to Mary. You will be with child, and you will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And we can witness with Paul when he writes in 2 Corinthians, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And just an aside here quickly, if you're waiting for God to do something in your life, God's timing is perfect. Don't become impatient with God. It took thousands of years for the promise of Messiah to be fulfilled. But here's what happens. Jesus comes. Jesus comes. Finally, the sun arrives. It's what we celebrate tomorrow. This isn't just some flippant promise God made. This was his purpose. Tomorrow, we celebrate the fulfillment of a promise long waited for. And I think often we don't remember and are not reminded and don't think about how beautiful it is to live on this side of the promise. We look back at the cross and we go, wow, that is fulfilled. And by the way, for me, when I read Scripture, that is the gospel message. Yes, it is good news that we can be saved, but the gospel message at its core is this, the king has come. For God's people in the New Testament, to declare the gospel was to declare the promise of Messiah has been fulfilled. And why is that the center? Why is that such good news? Because of the coming of Messiah comes the kingdom of Messiah. And in that kingdom, there's salvation and healing and forgiveness and restoration So yes, the good news is that we can be saved but the good news that's greater than that is the king has come. The wait is over. That's a beautiful message. God's plan to defeat Satan has been executed and Jesus is the promise kept and the promise fulfilled. The next truth is this and he's going to be a lot shorter. This promise that was fulfilled was fulfilled supernaturally. We live in a day and I don't know if you've seen it. My son loves it but there's this resurgence that's happening of superheroes and superhero books and movies and the Avengers is like everywhere. I don't know how many movies there are but they all die and come back to life and die and come back to life again. And it's just, anyway, you know, Superman can fly. They have these superpowers. Superman can fly. Wolverine can heal rapidly. Aquaman, I don't even know if it's a superhero, but he can breathe underwater, right? Um, I can do that too with an oxygen tank. Um, Sp- Spider-Man, he, like, he can climb walls and shoot webs out of his hands and stuff like that. And we're amazed at these superheroes. We're captivated by them. But here's the matter that for me is essential. Christian theology Has a real superhero. Christian theology has has at its centre the only ultimate superhero, and the reason why is because he actually existed. He actually exists. He was, he is, and always will be. And his name's Jesus. Jesus embodies human flesh. He's born of the virgin. He comes and he raises the dead. He walks on water. He calms storms. He heals people. He conquers the grave. And then he does stuff like walk through walls and float back up to heaven. And then he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And it's not just that that he did, it's how he came through the virgin birth. Luke in chapter one says this, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And this was predicted 700 years before when Isaiah wrote what he wrote, "For us or for, to un, for unto us a child will be born, for to us a son shall be given." And here's, here's what the miraculous supernatural virgin birth guarantees for us. Right? It guarantees that Jesus Christ was sinless and not affected by human nature. That's why this is so significant. Because Jesus was sinless, God, he alone could satisfy the wrath of God that was due because of our sin. Only he could pay the wages of our sin on our behalf. That's why Isaiah says to us, a son is given. The word son is is affirming and, and boosting the idea of the deity of the one to come, of Jesus Christ. Because Christ was perfect man, that's why Isaiah says, and just a child is given, a son is given, a child is born. He's not just duplicating that for no reason. He's using those for specific reasons. He's saying the one to come will be a son. He will be holy, God, and he will be child. He will be human in the flesh, 100%, God in the flesh. Because he was perfect man and born a child, he could sympathize with us, empathize with us, lead us and die in our place. And this virgin birth enabled that supernatural fulfillment of the promise. The last truth is this. This promise given and this promise fulfilled was a promise given and a promise fulfilled purposefully. That cute baby boy born in Bethlehem in a major was born for a specific purpose and a specific reason. In fact, when you think about it, it was quite grotesque and hideous, the purpose for which he came. 700 years in advance, the prophet Isaiah says that the purpose of this baby coming, of this God becoming man, would be so that he would suffer the worst of all deaths so God's people could be reborn. In other words, and in on Easter, on Easter, we often hear about Jesus dying for us. We say, Jesus died for us. I want to say this. Jesus was also born for you. Jesus was born for you so that he could die for you. Isaiah says this in chapter 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. I don't know if you know what the crucifixion or what a crucifixion was like. But briefly, you would die by asphyxiation. In other words, you couldn't breathe. You'd be hanging from nails through your hands or wrists. And you'd be gasping for breath, and then you'd have to push up to get a gulp of air on the nails that are through your feet. And then when the pain in your feet was too much, you would hang back down again on the nails that were in your wrist. And on top of that, Jesus had been whipped and torn to pieces. And the writhing up and down on a splintered, rough wooden cross would have been excruciatingly painful upon his back. And on top of that, the heart is under stress. Muscles are cramping and there's severe, severe blood loss and you're becoming weaker and weaker to the point where you can't push up on your feet anymore and you die because you can't breathe. Sometimes it would take days for people to die. It was absolutely hideous. And you go, well, why do I share that this evening? This is supposed to be a happy time. That is why Jesus was born. And I think God's people, we have to get our head around this because tomorrow when we open our presence and tomorrow when we spend time with family and friends, there's this cliche saying, let's not forget that it's actually about Jesus. And somehow we know it, but it sits at the back of our mind. I want you to wake up tomorrow morning and go, this is actually really about Jesus. This is about what he did for me. This is about the greatest present. This really is about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is not a joke. This is not about the food I eat and the presents I have. Those are all great things given to us to celebrate by a God who loves us. Tomorrow we celebrate the birth of a Savior who died that grotesque death because God loves you so much. If you don't know him, I want to invite you into a place where you give your life to Jesus. You're not going to find fulfillment in anything and anyone else other than Jesus. And if you are a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister in the faith, Make sure, like Terry shared earlier, that tomorrow, it's about you being able to bring, not just tomorrow, but every single day of the rest of next year, the truth of Jesus into the lives of people who so desperately need him. When we consider what Jesus did for us, Matthew Matthew chapter one says this, she will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When you consider that, how can you not marvel and wonder and want to praise Jesus? How can you not wanna say, Lord, here is my life, take it. How can you not say tomorrow to everyone that you meet, Merry Christmas, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Most amazing thing, this is what I'm gonna say to end off with, is this. Jesus made a promise that he was gonna come back again. And although we live on the other side of the cross, we live on this side of his second coming. He is coming back again. Just like it was prophesied that he would come the first time. And when Jesus comes back a second time, he's he's coming with heaven's armies. And Revelation says he's going to be riding on a white horse. And with him are the armies of heaven. And he's going to call to him, his sons and daughters, and together we're going to judge the earth. And after that, we're going to be taken up into eternal life and inherit what God has prepared for us in eternity. What an amazing truth. What an exciting thing to live for. And We might never be alive when Jesus comes back again. Or it could happen tomorrow. But we wait excitedly. And the only reason why we can wait excitedly is because he came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he's living and coming back. So let's celebrate Jesus tomorrow. I'm gonna pray and then we're we're done.